This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans uh, chapter number one, Paul's writing a church, uh, a letter to a church that he's never actually attended before. Uh, he's writing them in faith saying, hey, one of these days I'm going to get there and visit you and what a time it's going to be. Uh, and he's, he said previously, hey, I can't wait to get there. We took a look at this last week on how to be a good friend. I can't wait to get there and spend some time with you. I want to encourage you, but at the same time, I want you to encourage me. And last week, we took a look at the importance of faith-filled family friendships. And so if you missed that, you can get caught up. Uh, today, I've entitled today's message, The Obligation of the Gospel. Uh, Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 14 and go through verse number 16 this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Guys have this interesting thing that we do when we go out to lunch with one another. Uh, Ladies, you might not do this. I don't know. I've never been a lady before, so I can't speak to that. But guys, what we do is if we go to lunch together and they say, hey, one check or two, most guys will say, one check, I've got it. And then the other guy says, no, I've got it. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm going to get it today. And then we go through this. It's kind of like playground behavior where we push and we shove and we kind of uh, try to, to jockey for position with our debit card to slide it in there. And we wait until maybe somebody goes to the bathroom. Or uh, I, I know a guy one time did like next level sneaky. He got up during the, the, uh, the meal and said he had to go to the bathroom. He went and found our waitress and paid for, for lunch before he ever came back. I thought, dude, that's just dirty because uh, that's it, lying, right? Like that's a, that's a sin. You can't do that. Um, and so, but, but here's what happens is that if somebody beats you to it and pays first, the guy always has to say what? I'll get you next time, right? And now I feel bad because now I owe you lunch now. I didn't plan on owing anybody anything, but now I'm in debt to you and I hate that feeling. And it's even worse when you go to lunch with somebody that you don't like because now you owe them, but you don't really want to have lunch with them again, but now I have to because I owe you and it's just this weird kind of obligation that we have. And so, uh, ladies, I'm sure you guys don't have anything like that. You just probably split it right down the middle and call it good. But guys, you're, you're just weird like that, right? But here's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, guys, I can't wait to get to see you because I owe you. And it's interesting. Paul says in verse number 14, I'm a debtor. That means I am in debt. I'm obligated. I owe you something. And when I come see you, I'm going to make sure that I settle up what is lacking Now, what does he owe them? He owes them the gospel. Now, we're going to get into this word, and you're going to see it again and again and again as we go through the series of Romans, because Romans is is basically a a story of the gospel from uh, uh, chapter number 1 to chapter number 16. It's just about the gospel. But it's important that we define terms, because the term gospel has gotten hijacked by so many churches these days that has nothing to do with the gospel at all. Uh, for example, there's, there's churches who have, you know, we're going to do a, a, a gospel-centered park outreach. Okay, what does that mean? We're going to go pick up trash in the park. Hey, it's a good thing to pick up trash in the park. I'm all for that. We do that to help our community and things like that. But don't call that the gospel because picking up trash is not the gospel. 
uh, we're going to have a, a food pantry, a gospel-centered food pantry, where we hand out canned goods to people in need. Hey, that's good. The Bible says we should help those that are in need. We should be giving. We should be generous as Christians. I love it, but please don't call that the gospel. The gospel is separate from that. Now, can we put the two together for sure? Uh, for example, we, we uh, paint uh, over graffiti in our neighborhood. Uh, we pick up trash. We pull weeds to, to beautify our community. It's one of the ways that we love our community and the city that we're in. It's easy to sit and gripe about problems. It's another thing to get up and actually fix it. And so we decide we're going to get up and fix it. But please don't mistake that. While it's good for us to do that to our community and it's good to show our love for the community, that is not a gospel project uh, because it's missing one key component, and that is the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, what we're talking about is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the salvation and for the sins of mankind. That's the gospel. Now again, when you remove components out of this, death, burial, and resurrection, sins, uh, salvation, when you remove those from the gospel, you no longer have the gospel. And so it's important that we define terms of what we mean when we talk about the gospel. Jesus Christ died for sinners. That's the gospel. And so when we talk about having a gospel message, it's important that we have to keep the key components of the gospel. Uh, I heard a, a pastor several weeks ago, I was listening to a, a podcast that, that one of the men in our church who's a friend of mine sent to me, uh, and the, the pastor was speaking, and here's what he said, it, it struck me as so good. He said, a father takes his son through a strawberry patch and teaches him how to pick strawberries and find the ones that are ripe and the ones that are good and the, the taste of a strawberry. And then he teaches his son how good the strawberries are and he can mix it together with, with whipped cream at home. He can maybe uh, pull them right off the, the vine and eat them or you can put them in the fridge and eat them out of the fridge and you can dip them in, in sugar and make them sweeter. And, but at the end of the day, he has a taste for strawberries. But then the same guy, father takes his son to 7-Eleven and introduces him to strawberry slushies. And he realizes, hey, this tastes better than this over here. And then his son no longer has an appetite for strawberries. He only wants strawberry-flavored things. And the point that the pastor is making is that the gospel is, is pure. It's unadulterated. But we make things that taste like the gospel but are missing the key components. And he says, we've got to get back to where we want the real thing, the real gospel without any bells and whistles or any flavorings on top of it. I love that, that picture of that. That we've got to get back to loving the gospel for what it is. Not tacking the gospel onto things that we want to do. But really understanding what the gospel means for us and how we communicate that to others. Uh, I, I sometimes share the gospel, sometimes in, through five different uh, major statements uh, four major statements. If you have uh, uh, one of our invitation cards that we just got, we just got these a couple of weeks ago. Um, these scorecards right here. It says, take a leap of faith on the back. It says, everyone has to believe in something. Put your faith in Jesus for this life and the next. And then it goes through the gospel. Five major statements here. God loves you. Everybody has sinned. Your sin has a price that must be paid. Jesus paid that price for you. You must put your faith in Jesus and turn from your sin to be saved. It has verses for all of those. Uh, that's a, sometimes a, a, a way that I show the gospel is five major statements. Another one that I use is the idea of God, man, Jesus response. God is perfect. He is sinless. He is holy. He has commands for you and I to follow that are very, very high and very, very strict. But man has rebelled against God and has chosen to sin. 
God sets standards. You and I break those standards. God has rules. We break those rules time and time and time again. And because of that, it has separated mankind from God. And now man is in need of a Savior. You see, we don't need a Savior if you're willing to pay for your own sins. But the penalty of your sins and the penalty of my sins is death and hell. If we die in our sins, the Bible says we'll be separated from God for all of eternity. That you and I, the judgment for our sin is death and hell. That's what we deserve. But God loves you and I so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That Jesus made a payment in full for my sin and yours. But the response is you've got to make a choice for yourself. Will you pay for your own sin or will Jesus pay for your sins? Choice is totally up to yours, but you have to choose. I can't make a decision for you. Uh, you can't make a decision for me. You've got to make it for yourself. Every man on, on planet Earth, every woman on planet Earth has to make a decision for themselves. Will I put my faith in Jesus or will I put my faith in what I can do? And sometimes people think, well, I'll do a little bit of both. I'll do my part and maybe Jesus will do his part. Maybe that'll be enough to push me over the finish line. Please understand this. At any point that you put into this what you can do for yourself, you're always going to fall short 100% of the time because you can't be good enough to get to heaven. You can't add to the things that Jesus Christ has already done. It requires you to put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. That is the gospel. Turn your Bibles, if you would, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to see this uh, with your own eyeballs. It, it, it's so good the way that Paul summarizes the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse number one. Notice this, here's what Paul says. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. Now, pause there for just a second. I got saved when I was a nine-year-old boy. I remember it was a Sunday morning we were getting ready for church. I recognized that I needed to be saved. Uh, I, I hadn't committed any gross, egregious sin at that point. I just realized what I did was enough to send me to hell, and I need to be saved. And I told my mom, she was getting ready in the bathroom, I said, hey, mom, I need to be saved. And she said, we'll talk about it after church today. And I said, okay, I'll just do it myself then. And she says, okay, I'll send your dad in. And so my dad came in my room. We sat down beside my bed. My dad opened up the Bible. We went through the gospel, and I received Jesus Christ as Savior on that Sunday morning before church. I was nine years old. And I remember when Angela and I first started walking with Jesus, we were in our uh, early 20s. Uh, I was probably 22, 23 at the time. And uh, there was a, a man in our church that was discipling my wife and I. Um, and his, him and his wife, Pat and Jane Smith, changed our lives forever because they poured into us and taught us what it meant to be a committed follower of Jesus. We call that process discipleship. But at the time, I just thought they were just being good friends and were being really nice. But they were trying to teach us what it meant to be a committed follower of Jesus. And I remember him telling me, hey, when you put your faith and trust in Christ as Savior, you, all the wrong you've ever done in your life is wiped away as if it never happened. The, the moment that you get saved, God declares you righteous. The word justification means now you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's just like you've never sinned before in your entire life. And you're wiped clean. The Bible says you're a new creature in Christ. And I remember sitting there at the time being really frustrated with that thought. And I said, well, that's a bummer. And he goes, why? And he said, this is great news. No, it's great news, but like, I didn't need that when I was nine. I needed that when I was like 22 and I've made a mess of my life. And he goes, wait, wait, you misunderstand. The gospel isn't just what you need for the day that you get saved. It's what you need to live every single day after that. 
The same truth that saved you. Jesus died for sinners and forgives anyone who comes to him in faith and repentance. That same story is true today as much as it was when you were nine. So when I make a mistake and when I mess it up and when I, when I sin against God now, I can just seek forgiveness? And he goes, yeah, and all of it's wiped clean all over again. Well, when does that run out? <laughs> it doesn't. So the story of the gospel isn't just good for you the day that you get saved. It's good for you every day since you've been saved. And it'll be good for you every single day from here on out. The fact that Jesus died for sinners and he is the only hope that we have for forgiveness. And so that's why Paul says here in verse number one of 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel which I preached unto you, which you received and wherein ye stand. And so you and I, if you've been saved, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, you now stand in the power of the gospel. Verse number two, by which you are also saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, lest you believed in vain. Take a look at verses three and four. Paul sums up the gospel for us. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. So Paul summarizes the gospel there in verses 3 and 4 for us. Jesus Christ died for our sins. And so when we look at that, we recognize that the gospel is good for people who need to be saved, but the gospel is also good for everyone who is already saved. So you and I cannot afford to lose the hope that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that word gospel just means good news. Sometimes people think that, well, the gospel is just talking about the first four books of the New Testament. Uh, we call those the gospels for sure. A little side uh, note for you. The first three books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the synoptic gospels uh, because they basically tell the story of Jesus Christ from three different men's perspectives and written to three different audiences. The fourth gospel, John, contains stories that are not found in the first three Gospels. And so the first three we call the synoptic Gospels because they tell basically the same story, three different perspectives. Gospel of John kind of stands alone in the truth that it brings to the table. But we need all of those to tell us who Jesus Christ is. And so the word Gospel just means good news. And when we talk about the Gospel, we're talking about the good news that Jesus died for the sins of mankind. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the Gospel. Now, go back to first, I'm sorry, go back to Romans chapter 1 if you would. When we talk about the gospel, a thorough presentation of the gospel must include the discussion of sin, the penalty of sin, and the judgment of sin. I was greatly grieved by a pastor several years ago, I wouldn't even give him the designation of a pastor because he's not a shepherd, he's a, a wolf, who said, I don't like to use the word sin because it makes people feel bad. I prefer to use shortcomings. <laughs> well, the problem is, is that sin is a Bible word, and we can't get around that. And let me just tell you this this morning. If the word sin makes you uncomfortable, <laughs> that's a good thing. We'll take a look at tonight from the book of James, that sin should make us feel uncomfortable. And there's a difference between guilt and Holy Spirit conviction. I can make you feel really guilty, but that's not the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. And sometimes God uses our guilt together with the Holy Spirit to bring us to repentance. 
But we need to understand we can't get around the word sin. You cannot share the gospel with someone without talking about sin. It just doesn't work. Amen. It's like trying to bake a cake without flour and eggs. You can't do it. It's like trying to bake chocolate chip cookies without chocolate chips. You can't do it. So a gospel presentation requires talking about sin because sin is our problem. We have to talk about the penalty of sin. Because you've broken God's law, you deserve to be judged for that. You can't break the law and continue to get away with it forever. There must be a penalty for what you've done wrong. And the penalty of your sin, the penalty of my sin is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What you have earned as a result of your sin is death. I often tell people, if you work a job, you usually get a paycheck stub that contains your wages and earnings for that period. Those of you in the military, you get a LES, a leave and earning statement. Show your wages for that period. It's what you've earned as a result of the work that you've done. The wages for your sin is death. You've earned that. I've earned that. That's what we deserve. And we have to talk about that because that's the crux of the gospel. The fact that you and I deserve God's punishment and wrath. We have to talk about judgment that one of these days we will be judged. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us it's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. You and I will be judged according to what we have done with the truth of the gospel. When you get to heaven, it won't be whether or not you've been a good person, whether or not you attended church, whether or not you memorized Bible verses. The question is, what did you do with Jesus? If you die in your sins, you are in danger of God's wrath and judgment, and you will receive it 100%. God's judgment and wrath is poured out for all of eternity in hell. Again, Revelation chapter 20 tells us, all those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's what I deserve. I deserve to go to hell because I'm not a good person. Because I've sinned against God. Because I've broken God's law, not once or twice, or that one time in college I did something I wasn't proud of. I break God's law every opportunity that I get to fulfill my own lusts. And I, I have to accept the consequences for that, and that's hell. But God loves you too much. God loves me too much to allow us to go to hell without any other opportunities. And so God, in his marvelous love for us, Romans 5, 8, God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus died for sinners. And let me just tell you, if you think you've got it all together and you think you have all of your ducks in a row, Jesus didn't die for you. If you're really religious and you think your religious works will get you to heaven, Jesus did not die for you. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus even said this, a doctor doesn't go to the people that are healthy. He goes and finds the sick. A Savior came to save sinners. And so when you and I recognize, I can't make it to heaven on my own. I'm not a good person. I don't have what it takes to get to heaven. Then we find our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. So we can't talk about the gospel and leave those things out. The gospel is more than, quote, turning it over to Jesus. It's more than inviting him in your heart. It's more than choosing to be a Christian. One of the problems with Americanized Christianity, which unfortunately has spread around the world, is the fact that we can talk about Bible things without talking about the gospel and still do people a good service. We're doing people a great disservice when we fail to talk about the gospel. Amen. And again, there's a lot of christian ease words that get thrown in that sound 
spiritual, that sound Christian, but really just are confusing. And please understand this, God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace, is what the Bible tells us. And so when the gospel gets muddy, that's not because God wants to make it muddy, because the gospel's really, really simple. It's simple enough that even a child could understand it and come to faith in Christ. And so we need to make, be really clear when we talk about the gospel that we use Bible words. Sin, salvation, Savior, judgment, wrath. Because when we don't use those words, we do people a great disservice. It's amazing to me the things that pass as, as Christian today. I, I've, I've been to, in, in church my whole life, except for a short period of time when I, I left my, my house and was sporadically attending church. And I've been to churches all across America. I've been to churches in other countries. And uh, I've had some really good church experiences and bad church experiences. There was one church that we went to that, that we, uh, and please understand this, when you take, I want to preface this by saying this, when you take the gospel out of the Bible, when you take the gospel out of a church, you have nothing left at all. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. When you take the gospel out of the church, the church has nothing left to offer at all. And that's why many churches today have turned into entertainment centers because they're not preaching the gospel. They have no truth that's available for you to latch onto. People need to hear that Jesus died for sinners and he loves you. And the hope that you're looking for can be found in the person of Christ. But when you take that out, all we have is entertainment. And Angela and I one time had attended a church, very big church, very nice church. The people were super nice. The, the building was amazing. The production value of their program was top notch. But I, I remember at the... Um, it was during the offering. They were taking an offering. And they said, during the offering, uh, we got Josh who's going to come up and provide an interpretive dance. Oh, okay. And so they played some Christian song. I forget what it was. Dude came up to the platform, I'm not lying, in white tights. And I thought to myself, first of all, guys should not wear tights. Let me just put that out there. I don't care if it's in the Olympics and gymnastics. Like, dudes should not wear tights. You should wear shorts, okay? Uh, no guy should wear tights. Second of all, guys definitely should not wear tights in church, okay? And so I'm immediately skeptical. And so then the music starts, and he starts, like, doing all this stuff and, like, throws himself down on the ground and then, like, back up again like this. And I'm just like, okay, this is awkward. And then he, like, runs to the side, and somebody throws him this flag, and he grabs the flag. It's like one of those, like, long ribbons. And he starts twirling it in circles as he's running. And I was just like, what in the Sam Hill is going on here, Right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm really uncomfortable right now. Like, like, again, really uncomfortable at what's going on here. And the dude just like, keeps going. And I'm looking around like, is anybody else like skeeved out by this? I'm like, nobody. The people are just like, oh, and then he's done that. People clapping. Thank you, Josh, for that. That was such a blessing, wasn't it? If you were blessed by that, say amen. Everybody goes, amen. And I was just like, I was not blessed by that. Like, not even a little bit blessed. Like, Oh, man, that was just really weird. And I thought to myself, what's the purpose of that? Why? And I thought to myself, again, if you don't have the gospel, all we have is entertainment. Wasn't that fun to watch? I guess for some people it was fun. And then at the end, he's like, same church, no lie. Same church. Hey, Sister Lisa's going to close this out with a, a song today that will bless you. Sister Lisa, would you come on up? And so she grabs the mic and begins to sing beautiful, beautiful golden voice this woman had. And she's singing this song, and it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't remember it as being a church song. 
And she gets to the chorus and she goes, and a hero comes along and gives you strength to carry on. I was like, this is Hero by Mariah Carey. Like, what on earth? And so I'm thinking like, in my mind, I'm trying to like do this like spiritual contortionist thing where like maybe she means that Jesus is the hero who comes along and gives us strength to carry on and you cast your fear aside and you know you will survive. And then it gets to the end, it's like, the hero lies in you. It's like, wait, why? It's like, no, I'm not the hero. That's why I'm in church today, because I know I'm not the hero. I'm in great need of a Savior. That's why I'm here. And, and at the end of that, everybody clapped, and that was a blessing, Lisa. If you were blessed by that, say, ah. it was just like, what? Like, am I the only person in this entire room that sees what's going on? At no point did we talk about the gospel. At no point did we even talk about the Bible. The, the no lie, the, the, the message, message, I'll use that in air quotes, it was given by the speaker. Uh, I won't even call him a pastor. Gideon had a dream, and God changed his dream. But Gideon just wanted to dream again. And some of you are here today, and God's given you a dream that didn't work out the way that you want. If you've ever been disappointed by your dream, say amen, amen. And God's given you the power today to dream again. And I'm, I'm like flipping through my Bible and I'm like, I don't, I don't see any of this in the Bible at all. And he gets down to the end he's just, and somebody comes up playing really weepy music on like an organ synthesizer like under his, his speaking and he's like, and, and again, I'm, I'm like in tune to everything and he's like changing his cadence to match the, the music that's playing and I was just like, this feels really, really manipulated and some of you are out there, you, you've been broken, you're afraid to dream but some of you need to dream again today and if you want to dream again today, would you put your hand in the air? Would you put your hand in there if you want to dream again today? I mean, hands up everywhere. People want to dream again. Amen. Let's have a word, of hand, a hand of a, a, a word, of, a round of applause for these people today who are trusting Christ as Savior to dream again. And people start clapping. I was just like, no, 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 no. That's not the gospel. Nobody trusted Christ for anything that day. And again, what if your dream is to leave your spouse and start a new family? Like, are you supposed to dream that again? Come on. And again, I was so grieved that so many wrong turns could be made in one church service. And I thought to myself, I feel so sorry for the thousands of people that attend this church. But what's, what's, the, what's the issue? You take the gospel out, you got nothing left. But entertainment, self-help talk, make you feel better. That is devoid of the gospel. Again, turning it over to Jesus. What does that mean? I'm not sure. It's not salvation. One of the men of our church that got saved last year said he had gone, uh, I, I was going through the gospel with him. And I said, has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? And he says, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what that means, but I think so. I said, tell me about what happened when you think that you might have been born again. He said, I went to another church. Um, they had a special speaker. The, the speaker was speaking. Very emotional speech. He said, not a dry eye in the house. He asked people if, if he'd like to have a word of prayer with them if they would come forward. And he said, so I went forward with a bunch of other people and we all held hands and he prayed over us and he goes, I cried like a baby. He said, does that count? I'm sorry it doesn't. He said, well, what was that then? I'm not really sure I wasn't there, I couldn't say. But unless he talked to you about your sin and putting your faith in Christ alone as Savior and repenting of your sin, that wasn't salvation. And he goes, wow, that's a bummer. Oh, that's a huge bummer. Huge bummer. And I was thankful that night he put his faith and trust in Christ and was legitimately born again. 
thankful for that. Because the gospel has the power to save. You take the gospel out, we have, we have nothing to offer. And so again, when I talk with people about the gospel, I always use Bible terms. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Well, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Let me show you. Because in John chapter 3, verse number 3, Jesus says, No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. I don't ask questions like, are you a Christian? Because most people would self-identify as a Christian if they believe in God. I don't ask them, you know, uh, has there been a time in your life where you've invited Jesus in? Uh, I ask legitimate, hardcore questions. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? If you don't know what that means, let me ask you this way. If you die today, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? Well, I don't think anybody can be 100% sure. The gospel says that you can. And so the gospel has the hope that we need. The gospel tells us that our greatest problem is sin. And our only solution is a savior. Our greatest problem that we have is not an economic problem. I know inflation is a mess right now, but that's not the biggest issue that we face. It's just not. I know unrest in foreign countries is a concern for us, and it should be because we should, should pray for people around the world, especially Christians who are enduring persecution around the world. But unrest in parts of the world is not a major issue. Not the major issue, let me put it that way. Racism, hate it with every fiber of my being. And I've been on the receiving end of it more times than I care to count. But that's not the greatest issue that we face. Gender pay inequality, is it a problem? Definitely, is that the problem? No, it's not the problem. The biggest problem is always sin. It all goes back to that. I was watching a documentary last night and, and um, the lady that they were interviewing says that the spectacular downfall of this company could be traced back to one thing, pride. I was like, ooh, tell me more, right? And she said, and that pride fleshed itself out in selfishness and greed. And I was like, ooh, somebody who really gets it, right? The problem of the downfall of this company was sin, the problem of every marriage that's ever fallen apart, the answer to that is sin. The problem in every relationship that's messed up is sin. The problem with your kids is not that they're disobedient. The problem is with your kids is that they're sinners. And the answer for their sin is, somebody help me, the gospel. We've got to teach our kids from the, a very young age, you've not only broken mommy and daddy's law, you've broken God's law, and that's a sin, and you need to repent. We need to teach our kids that from a very young age. Mommy and daddy, when we're wrong, we repent of our sin. That's your problem is that you're a sinner. And again, age appropriate for sure, having conversations as they come up for sure. But we, they need to understand from the very young age, you need a savior because you're a sinner. That's what the gospel says. And so again, you know, you have these churches who have removed the gospel, and so now the big issue is, you know, racism in America, or the big issue is, you know, what group matters this week, or what hashtag is trending this week, because again, we don't have anything else to fall back on because we've, we've taken the gospel out and we've neutered the Bible. The Bible has no power, let me say this and be really clear, the Bible has no power apart from the gospel. Well, that's a pretty harsh statement. I didn't say it. Paul said it. Verse number 16 in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Paul said it. You take the gospel from the Bible, it no longer has the power that it needs. 
And so you and I have to make sure that we defend the gospel at every turn that we get because that is the answer for what ails mankind. Here's the thing. Human trafficking will resolve itself if people come to faith in Christ and obedience to God's word. That fixes itself. Racism fixes itself. You know what the answer is? The gospel. Not indoctrinating kids with some new educational program or some new curriculum. No, teach them the gospel. God created everybody equally. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to treat them as such. Simple. Pornography fixed by the gospel. Sexual immorality fixed by the gospel. It all comes back to that. And so we got to make sure that we defend that at all costs. And we have to become experts, experts at sharing the gospel. You got to know it. If somebody asks you, hey, how do I go to heaven? You need to have an answer for that. If somebody asks you, hey, why do you believe what you do? You need to have an answer for that. We try to make it really easy for you because on the back of these cards, here's the gospel. Hand these out. Take a look. Uh, turn your Bibles if you go over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to see this. It might be in your notes, but I want you to see it in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <coughs> Corinthians 5, 17. Here's the beautiful truth of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who, get this, hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So here's what God did. Reconcile means to make right. You and I were at odds with God. Romans chapter 5 tells us we were the enemies of God. Jesus Christ reconciled us and brought peace between two warring factions. God says, I cannot accept you with your sin. And the only way that we could be reconciled is to make peace with our sin through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God. Amen. That's a good truth. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 18, who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Guess what? When you became reconciled to God, God gave you a job to do. What's your job? To help other people be reconciled. Now I get to take what I've been given and pass it on. Now I've made right things right with God. I need to help other people make things right with God. The ministry of reconciliation. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, verse number 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. You and I were not responsible for our own sin because Jesus Christ reconciled those. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Does anybody want to guess what the word of reconciliation is? Somebody help me. The gospel. So we were reconciled to God. God now wants to reconcile the world to himself. And so you and I have been given the job ministry of reconciliation by the gospel, the word of reconciliation. Verse number 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And in verse number 21, I just got to throw this in because it's one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. For he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. That's good. 
But back up, verse number 20, 20, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is a foreign representative of a foreign government to another foreign country. So we're ambassadors of Christ, representing him to a foreign and sometimes hostile world. That's our job. Because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Well, how do I do it? You do it with the gospel. So you need to figure out how you can share the gospel with other people. Maybe you take uh, these cards that we hand out. And you bake a plate of cookies for your neighbor and take it to him and say, hey, I just want to give you an invitation to church. On the back is the most important thing you'll ever read. If you have questions, let me know. Maybe it's just as simple as that. Maybe you leave them places. I remember for me when I first started wanting to share my faith, I was a chicken. And so I'd leave these in the bathroom. I'd leave them at the ATM. I'd leave them all around wherever I could. Just gospel tracks. Get this. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I used to, at the, the gas station, take those little flip-up things and, and put them in, in there because I was a chicken. My son was pumping gas the other day and found a hooey collar track stuck in one of those. And I was like, yes! Somebody actually did it. So whoever, whoever you did, bravo. If you ever go to a Starbucks and where you like mix your drink up and throw your stuff away before you leave, if there's ever a gospel track there, I tell you my wife has already been there before you. So every time she makes her coffee, she leaves a gospel track there. Every time, 100% of the time. One time we were at Don Quixote. I've been at Don Quixote like three times in my entire life. And we're there and we're checking out. And there where you, where you check out and you pay, my wife had just put a, an invitation to church there. Somebody came two weeks later and said, how'd you hear about our church? They said, we found an invitation at the checkout at Don Quixote. What? Like, hey, I just want to be faithful sowing seed. Just put it out there. Whatever happens is what happens. But here's what we can't do. We can't just hang on to it. We can't just not tell people about our faith. We have to be experts. You might say, well, I don't really know how to do that. Good. If you don't know how to share your faith, I want to help. I'm going to give you tools, resources. I'm going to train you how to share your faith. We have our discipleship course that starts this week. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship without fail. You need to know what you believe, why you believe it, and how to pass it on to somebody else. And one of the chapters in there is sharing your faith with another person. And twice a year, we have a, a Saturday conference that we do to teach people how to share their faith called Sharing Jesus. We've got one coming up this fall. I'll give you books to read. I'll give you resources that you have. On the back table, every single week of the world, we have these books called Paid in Full. It's a, a gospel presentation. Man, hand it to somebody. Hey, read this. I think it'd be really good for you. But we have to share. We can't not share. That's not an option. Sharing the gospel requires preparation though if you take a look at uh paul says in verse number 15 in uh, romans chapter 1 turn back there if you would romans chapter 1 verse number 15 romans chapter 1 so as much as in me i am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at rome also no sir he says i'm ready to preach readiness requires more than just mentally agreeing that you're going to do it. It requires that you actually prepare for it. For example, let's say that I'm a glutton for punishment and I love torture. And I just said, this fall, November time frame, I think it is, I'm going to run the Honolulu Marathon. Terrible idea, running 26.2 miles on purpose and paying money to have to do it. Terrible idea. But let's just say that I want to do that, right? Am I ready, what you know about me right now, am I ready to run a 26.2 mile race right now? No, you can look at me and see I'm not ready to run that far. Big boys like me shouldn't have to run that far. But I decided in my mind that I'm going to do it. Am I ready? No, you still got to prepare. 18 to 20 weeks before you step up to the starting line, you need to start running. and You need to have a plan. 
five, six days a week, every single week without fail to put the time in to get it done. Paul didn't just show up in Rome one day and think to himself, I'm just going to preach the gospel because I think that I'm ready. No, no, he was preparing to share the gospel. You want to share your faith, you got to prepare. First of all, you got to know the gospel. Again, you got to be able to understand it and explain it. If you need practice, I want to help, really. I want to partner you up with other guys and gals in our church that are experts at this. Again, I should be able to take anybody who raises their hand on a Sunday that says they don't know for sure if they die, they're going to heaven. Partner them up with anybody that's been here for more than six months, and you can sit down with them and explain the gospel to them. If you say, well, I can't, good, then I want to help you prepare. But you got to know the, the gospel. We have to live the gospel. We ha- our, our life has to reflect that. And again, sometimes people say, well, I'm not perfect. I can, I can, I can never do that. Perfection doesn't factor in anywhere whatsoever. But faith and repentance do because that's the gospel, right? So that when I do something at work that's boneheaded, I lose my cool, I say something I shouldn't say, the gospel requires me to be reconciled by repentance. Hey, Mark, I'm sorry for raising my voice yesterday. I I got super frustrated. I shouldn't have. I lost my cool. Would you forgive me for that? Oh, it's fine. It's not a big deal. No, actually, it is a big deal. I want you to know that I'm sorry for that. I want to make it right. Would you forgive me? That's living the gospel. When I decided I wanted to really start walking with Jesus, I had to go around to several people in my workspace when I was in the military and apologize to them because I'm now, I'm a Christian, but I haven't been acting like it, but starting now, I'm going to. Would you forgive me for the way I've been behaving because things are going to be different going forward. And the majority of people are like, yeah, I guess, whatever. Is this like a part of a 12-step program? No, it's just me trying to make things right. And I want to make things right. So we've got to live the gospel. Our life has to back up what the gospel says. And again, this goes the same thing for our children as well. I have to repent to my children. Hey, Daddy raised his voice a while ago, and I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? Hey, what I said was unkind. Would you forgive me? Hey, I kicked the dog on my way in. Would you forgive me for that? I'm going to ask the dog to forgive me too. Again, and I heard once about a time somebody says, oh, never apologize to your kids. It shows weakness. That's the most foolish thing I've ever heard in my entire life. If I have done wrong, I am obligated by the word of God to make it right. That means I I wrong my kids, I need to make it right with my kids. If I wrong my spouse, I need to to apologize to my spouse because the gospel is the answer for everything. We gotta pray for gospel opportunities. God, would you give me an opportunity to share my faith with somebody? God, would you line me up with somebody who's looking for Jesus and help me to find somebody that I can share my faith with? Look at every relationship that you have in your life as an opportunity to share the gospel. Your coworkers, share the gospel with them. Your, your mailman, share the gospel with him. Your Starbucks barista, share the gospel with him. Every time I've ever gotten my hair cut in the last 10 years, I've shared the gospel with my, my barber, always. During uh, COVID, uh, initially the original, original lockdown that there was, you, know, you weren't allowed to like go out of your house except for essential services and getting your haircut was not an essential service, but I, I, my hair grows like a chia pet. It just grows really big and fuzzy, and so I had to get my hair cut. And so I found this guy on Instagram and, and basically got a black market barber for a couple of weeks. It was awesome. But uh, I, I sit outside here in the atrium, and he was cutting my hair. I said, hey, have you ever cut hair at a church before? And he was like, nope. I said, Man, I've never got a haircut at church before. And so I'm thinking, like, I got this guy for a solid 30 minutes. He's going to hear it whether he likes it or not. And so I'm sitting there, and, and you know, I said, hey, do you go to church anywhere? He's like, no, not really. You don't really believe anything. And I said, well, what happens after we die? He goes, I'm not really sure. Oh, okay. I said, well, we as Christians believe that when you die, you either go to heaven or hell. And he says, oh. I said, what do you think about that? He goes, well, I mean, I guess it can make sense. I said, 
my job as a Christian is to tell everybody that I can meet, everybody that I know, how they can know for sure when they die, they're going to heaven. It's like, no questions asked. That's what I do. And he goes, oh. And he's cutting. He's cutting. Really quiet. And he like flips his clippers off. He goes, so are you going to tell me or not? <laughs> oh, glad you asked. And so we sit and we talk through the gospel. He says, yeah, I went to church and it was always about how good I am. And I realized I could never be good enough to go to heaven, so I just quit trying. Well, good. You're, you're halfway there. You're not good enough to make it to heaven, but you don't stop. You have to find another path. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. My current barber that I had, first week, cut my hair. She says, uh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And it's usually really a conversation killer. If you want to get out of a conversation, tell people you're a pastor, they'll like turn the other way, not want to talk. I said, I said, well, do you go to church anywhere? And she said, well, I go to church online. I said, you know that's not really church, right? And she said, same thing, flips off the clippers. And she's like, yeah, I know. Okay, as long as you know that's not really church. I said, why don't you come to our church, check it out. I said, we're having our open house Sunday coming up. This was back in October. Uh, my barber goes to church here. You know why? Because I saw her not as somebody who cuts my hair, but I saw it as a gospel opportunity. I'm being asked, hey, has there been a time in your life where you're saved? Tell me about that. Tell me about your walk with God over the last 10 years. What's going on with that? How can I help? Because I didn't just see it as somebody who's providing me a service. I see it as somebody who had the opportunity to impact with the gospel. Because the person who cuts your hair is going to spend eternity in heaven or hell, and you get the opportunity to make a difference. With what? With the gospel. So we pray for gospel opportunities. Then we share the gospel. Again, whether you do it by passing out gospel tracts, whether you have people in your home to have gospel conversations, we got to do it. But at the end of the day, we let the word do the work. It's not about me winning people to Christ. I couldn't win people to Christ if I wanted to. I just give them the word and they do with it what they want. We're just seed sowers. And sometimes your seed finds good soil. Sometimes it finds rocky soil. Sometimes it doesn't even find soil. It just gets snatched up right away. Not my responsibility. I just got to keep sowing seed. And I let the word do the work. Hey, I just tell you what the Bible says and you can take it or leave it. And again, that's why we have gospel tracts. Uh, that's why I have books like Paid in Full. That's why I, I teach you how to share your faith because we have to share the gospel. We're obligated to preach the gospel. We refer to the Great Commission as Jesus' final commandments that he gave to the church before he left. We find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Five times it's recorded where Jesus tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always until the end of the world. Amen. So when it comes down to the Great Commission, we can break it down like this. Go, win, baptize, teach. That's a responsibility. That is a responsibility given to every church to steward the gospel. And again, you have a church that's not going, winning, baptizing, and teaching. They're no longer a church. And when you take the gospel out of the church, you no longer have a church. You have an entertainment complex. It has to go back to what does the Bible say 100% of the time. So when it comes to sharing the gospel, it's simply obedience to the Great Commission. And so if Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and you say, no... That's just simply disobedience. You might say, 
well, I'm not really good at it. Okay, then get better. That's not my personality. Good, because when you got saved, God made a new creature that was better than the old creature. Well, I just don't want to. Okay, well, at least you're just being honest that you are willfully disobedient to God's commands. The Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's not like a, hey, if this is your thing, you could probably do this. No, it's a matter of like, you got to do this. Sharing the gospel is the greatest act of love towards an unsaved world. If someone is in danger of God's wrath and judgment and we fail to tell them we're negligent, we're disobedient, it's the most unloving thing that we could do. If you saw your neighbor's house on fire and you open up the curtains and look and you shut them back and sit down on the couch and go, "Ah, somebody will get to them hopefully. That would be criminal behavior criminally negligent you think that person's a terrible despicable human being but if you open up your curtains and you look at your neighbor across the street who's in danger of god's wrath and judgment and will burn one day and you shut your curtains and go back to watching tv that's equally as negligent because we ha- we have to believe that the bible is true if the bible is true then god's judgment is coming on every single human being and we have the opportunity to do something about it so i have to see people as someone that jesus died for i have to see people as someone who will spend eternity in heaven or hell and i get the opportunity to change that it's the most loving thing that we can do is tell people about a savior who loves them and one of the most unloving things that we as christians can do is tell people your sin is okay it's not that big of a deal I mentioned this before, and I want to be really, really clear on what I say. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus died for sinners. I myself am a sinner in need of God's grace. I'm not better than anybody else or above anybody else. But when we say that someone else's sin is okay, or we even go so far as to celebrate someone else's sin, that's not loving. For example, this month is Pride Month. I cannot celebrate what the Bible calls sin. I just can't do it. And to say it's okay, it's not a big deal, is not loving or tolerant or whatever category you want to put it in. It is unloving. And let me just say this, okay? When you tell someone your sin is okay and you will not be punished for it, that is an anti-gospel. It's the opposite of what the gospel says. And again, I'm not putting any particular sin in any particular category. I'm saying for the guy who's having sex with his girlfriend outside of marriage to say, it's okay, God doesn't, God doesn't mind that, is the anti-gospel. I need to love him enough to say, hey, what you're doing is a sin and God hates sin. I love you. I'm not better than you. I just want to share with you what the Bible says. Well, it's not your place to judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm just letting the Bible judge you. And if that hurts... I want to love you enough to hurt you like that. To, to the man that, or the woman that looks at pornography, that's a sin. I can't celebrate that. I can't say that it's okay because sin put my Savior and yours on a cross. God hates sin so much that he was willing to execute his own son in the most humiliating way possible because of his hatred for sin and his love for you and I. That's how big of a deal this is. 
So when Christians can say what the Bible says is sin is okay, that's the anti-gospel. And it's sending people to hell in a handbasket. And again, it grieves me, churches who say things like, well, God created you just the way you are. God knows that you're a broken mess, but he chooses to love your broken mess anyways. You're okay. You don't have to change because God's grace is enough. That is a lie from the devil himself. Because please understand, you can always come to Jesus as you are, always, 100% of the time, you can come to Jesus exactly how you are. But you cannot stay as you are because the gospel requires that you change. So the most loving thing that we can do for the world is share the gospel because everybody needs the gospel. Paul says in verse number 14, I'm obligated, I'm a debtor to preach to people the gospel. I owe the gospel to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Now Paul had been called as an apostle to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles could be broken up into two different groups, those who were Greeks and those who weren't. And those who weren't were considered barbarians. And so he says, hey, look, whatever category you're in, I don't care, but I owe you the gospel. And he goes on in verse number 15 and says, both to the, verse number 14, both to the wise and to the unwise. People who are willing to hear wisdom and people who hate wisdom. I don't care. I got to get them the gospel. I owe that to them. He, he felt a yearning in himself. I got to tell people about Jesus. I got to tell people about what he's done. I owe that to them. And to think that there would be people that I know and people that you know that would stand at the great white throne judgment and be cast into a lake of fire for all of eternity because you and I simply did not care. It's shameful, it's embarrassing, it's hurtful, and that's why we as the church must protect and champion the gospel. Paul says, I owe it to you. It's estimated that 50% of the world's population has never heard the gospel even once. Let me tell you, this, this statistic was probably 10 years ago, and I can't imagine that it's gotten a lot better since then. Let me just tell you this, church. That statistic is shameful. That 2,000 years after Christ gave his command to tell the entire world, we're less than 50% after 2,000 years at getting the job done. And again, we look at that and they go, wow, we need to tell those people in the jungles of Africa all about the gospel. Look, we don't have to go that far. You probably need to talk to one of your coworkers about the gospel because they've never heard that before. I talked to a lady several years ago and I was asking, hey, do you go to church anywhere? She says, yeah, I do. She was the pianist at the Methodist church up the street. How long have you been going to church there? 30 years. Wow, that's incredible. Has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? And she looked at me and she was like, now what exactly does that mean? And I thought to myself, you don't know what it means to be saved. I said, no. So I went through the gospel. She's like, I've never heard that before in my life. <laughs> what? The thought that someone would sit in a, quote, Christian church for 30 years and never hear the gospel once doesn't know if she died, if she's going to heaven or hell. We don't have to go to the jungles of Africa to tell people about Jesus that have never heard. We just got to find our coworkers who have never heard a presentation of the gospel and tell them. Well, they might think I'm weird. So what? 
Jesus says, people rejected me, they're going to reject you. The servant's not above his master. You don't have to be weird about it. It doesn't have to be awkward. You can have a normal conversation. Hey, what happens when we die? How do you think people can make it to heaven? Do you know what the Bible says? Would you mind if I shared with Can I give you a book that you can read whenever you want to? I'd love to sit down and talk with you later about what you think about the book. If you have any questions, let me know. I'd love to answer your question. If I don't know the answer, I'll ask my pastor. But what we can't do is just pretend like it's going to get better one day. Again, we live in a, a, a city where people come from all over the world to this city. We don't have to go to the Philippines or Japan or China or Thailand to find people that have never heard the gospel. You just got to look down your, your sidewalk this week. You got to look around the cubicles around you this week. You got to look at the kids that are getting dropped off at school with your kids this week to find people who have never heard the gospel before. One author put it this way, I love this quote, every saved person on this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person on this side of hell. I'm obligated to tell this. How shameful if I knew how to keep people out of hell but didn't care enough to actually tell anybody. And and again, if you come to Huikala, 52 weeks out of the year, 52 times you will hear the gospel, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Most Sunday evenings, we're still going to tie it back to the gospel, so probably upwards of about 100 times a year, you'll hear the gospel. And you might be thinking, oh, if I could get my coworker or my neighbor to come, they'd hear the gospel. Hey, look, stop waiting on them to show up on a Sunday morning and take the gospel to them. Hey, I just got some steaks from Costco. I want to throw them on the grill this weekend. Can you and your family come over? Man, grill some steaks and talk about the goodness of God in your life. I'm talking about being intentional with the gospel, like you owe somebody something. According to the Great Commission, here's how it gets done. We start where we are, and then we fan out from there. That's how we get it done. That's how we reach the world. Did you know that if every Christian did this, we could evangelize the whole world in like less than five years? If every Christian took this seriously, like Jesus really meant what he said. Because in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, here's what he said. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses of me in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he ascended into heaven and he was done. So, here's what happens. Jerusalem is where they were at that moment when Jesus was speaking. Start where you are. Judea could be considered like the county or the region that they were in. So fan out from there. Don't forget about Samaria, which was a a racially charged area where Jews were not welcome because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. (laughs) Don't care, go there anyways. That's why Jesus, uh, in John chapter 4, when we see the woman at the well, he told the, the disciples, hey, I have to go through Samaria. And they're like, wait, like Samaria? He finds the woman at the well, and she's like, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. That's why the story of the the good Samaritan was such a good story, because he loved people despite the fact that he was a racial outcast, and people hated his guts just because of who he was. Yeah, you're supposed to go there, too. Don't leave any place out because it's uncomfortable. And then I want you to go even further than that throughout the rest of the world. So that's what we do. We're faithful with the gospel here in Honolulu. We partner together with other missionaries who are getting the job done around the world. We have missionaries that we support in Papua New Guinea, Ethiopia, Nigeria. 
We have missionaries here in, in Honolulu that are doing the work here in, in public schools that we support financially. I'm in talks with three different missionaries that we're hopefully going to be t- able to take on in the next 60 days that will further put our reach out into the world with the gospel as we, we aren't currently have people that we've sent from our church to these areas, but we're going to partner with people who are getting it done there. But we can't just sit back and hope this gets done. Again, this, this week, our church is not a Southern Baptist church. We never have been. We never will be. We're just a, a regular Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Baptist church. The buck stops here. Uh, Jesus Christ is the head of this church. We're not part of any associations or regions. We don't get to vote on things, and we don't get together with other people and, and adopt policies and procedures. We just, we got marching orders, get the gospel out. That's what we do. But this week in Anaheim, there'll be a gathering of churches from all over the United States for the Southern Baptist Convention, again, which we're not a part of, to get together and draft policies and pass motions and stuff like that. Hey, knock all that stuff off. Of all the people that flew in from Alabama to get a hotel at Anaheim and probably spend a couple days at Disney afterwards, take that money instead and invest it in the gospel. We don't have to have a meeting and vote on whether or not we're going to reach the the world with the gospel. We just go out and get it done. We don't need committees to form for that. We just need to grab a stack of gospel tracts and go out and tell people about Jesus. That's it. So, again, there's no need to be a part of any other associations or denominational headquarters or any denominational structure. We've got our marching orders. We've just been negligent at getting it done as a church as a whole. Now, Huikala, from the very beginning of our, our existence, we've been out every week of the world, passing out invitations to church, telling people about Jesus, training people to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue doing that, and we're probably going to crank it up to 11 this summer, too. Because the master's coming back. When? We don't know. It could be this afternoon, and there are people that aren't ready. <laughs> and what a shame it would be when the master comes to bring in the harvest. And we got a barn full of seed that we didn't bother to get out because we were too busy. It's kind of weird for me. I don't want people to think I'm weird. People might reject me. So we'll just leave the seed in the barn and when the master comes, he cuts the chaff and throws it in the fire. That's 100% on my head. Unless I choose to be serious about the stewardship of the gospel. Paul was compelled to share that truth. Paul felt obligated. He feels like he owes them something. I got to make sure that I adopt the same mindset. I want you to as well. I pray that for till the day that Jesus Christ returns, that after you and I are dead and gone, that this pulpit will still be used to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for the city of Honolulu and throughout the world. I pray that for our church. But it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen by intentionality. It's been said before that the kingdom of God is not built on spare time and spare change. It's people who intentionally say, I want my life to be used to advance the gospel. And again, me 20 years ago, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know how to do it. So I asked somebody, would you train me and help me to be useful for the kingdom? Because I feel like I'm a spectator just sitting watching. I want to get involved. But that required a commitment on my part. And so Pat and Jane Smith invested in my life and my wife's life and discipled us. And said, hey, here's what it means to be a committed Christian, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And I tell you this today. You're seated in this auditorium this morning because Pat and Jane Smith loved Anthony and Angela King and said, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, this is how it's done. 
And man, we said, we do. And we did it. We're still trying to do it. But that can't be a burden that the pastor carries. It's a burden for every Christian to carry. Are you doing your part for the kingdom? Are you serious about the gospel? Do you feel obligated to share that? Or are you just thankful that you've got it and you're going to sit back and enjoy it while the rest of the world perishes? I don't know. Let's be the type of church that gets the word out. Maybe you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved. Please don't leave here today without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven in heaven and your home. Best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. But for those of us that are saved, that are born again, we have work to do until the day we see Jesus face to face. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.